to Out of the Box Radio with me, your host, Christine Blasdale. Out of the Box Radio is a weekly podcast of audible ear candy dedicated to bringing a fresh perspective on this thing that we call life. And each and every week, we're going to be diving into the topics that matter most with lively conversations on issues such as health, wellness, and transformational healing, all with the goal of creating a better world and becoming a happier human being. I will be your tour guide for this epic adventure, and each and every week we're going to be embarking on a journey with the ultimate goal being transformation to our highest potential. And now, let's get out of the box. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Out of the Box Radio. This is a very special program today, so I'm really glad that you tuned in. Today, my guest is none other than Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson is an internationally acclaimed spiritual author and lecturer. She's been a a guest on programs such as Oprah, Larry King Live, Good Morning America, many, many others. And of course, many of you know her from her incredible books that she's written, New York Times bestsellers. Seven of her 12 published books have been New York Times bestsellers, and four of them have been actually ranked as number one. And she has a very, very special event happening in February. We're going to be talking about that called Sister Giant, and it's on February 2nd through the 4th in Arlington, Virginia, And we're going to be getting into that, what that's all about, and what she's got going on right now. And the wonderful part about Out of the Box Radio is we're going to find out some solutions to some issues that we've got going on in the world right now. And as we always talk about here on Out of the Box, it always begins with you, with me. So without further ado, I want to welcome to Out of the Box Radio, Marianne Williamson. Marianne, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Now, I sort of teased the audience a little bit about Sister Giant, and I love the idea about this. And then I just saw there was an announcement. You have incredible speakers. You yourself, of course, are going to be there. But then I just saw an announcement that my hero, Bernie Sanders, is going to be one of the speakers there. And I just, I'm right now getting goosebumps. I'm getting so many goosebumps right now. That is an incredible um, offering that you're going to be having in February, in early February. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about uh, the programming that you have scheduled for those two days? Well, Senator Sanders will be our opening keynote on Thursday night. He was our keynote at our last Sister Giant, which was held in Los Angeles in 2015. It was just right before he announced his run. And as he said, our uh, conference um, really gave him a sense of inspiration he definitely got the sense from our audience that you know we he should run bernie run (laughs) and um he 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 remembered that and 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 wanted to return so we were very and are very excited to have him back the weekend is a an opportunity for us two weeks after the inauguration of the president-elect to have what i think of as an integrative political conversation I think we need to understand very deeply what exactly happened here. What is the perfect storm that led to this, what I think and what you and your listeners probably think is a very unfortunate uh, challenge that we have in front of us, um, namely the agenda of the upcoming president. And it's a, a, a problem that, that challenges us to reach for something more than a political to-do list. 
we have to really face the elements of our own selfhood, uh, our own history, our own politics as they now exist in order to dismantle some of the realities, both internal and external, that have taken us to this place. And in order to build some of the structures, internal and external, uh, which will help us uh, dissolve the problem and move into the solution. So we will have people talking about very serious political issues, whether it's um, uh, uh, Congresswoman uh, Pramila Jayapal, who is trying to make it fit into her schedule. Uh, hopefully that will be uh, confirmed and announced uh, within 24 hours. Uh, Bernie Sanders, um, we have Michael Weiss, we have Ari Berman talking about voter suppression and um, and dark money. We have Zephyr Teachout, we have um, uh, Opal Tometi, who is uh, one of the co-founders of, um, uh, of Black Lives Matter. So we're going to be talking about the very serious externalized issues, but also the internal issues, whether it has to do with Gene Houston or a religion panel with people like um, uh, Robert Thurman talking about Buddhism, Michael Lerner talking about Judaism that, and the, the, the Jewish tradition that is behind his progressive politics. So it's going to be a very interesting and I think very unique conference in that we want to take the same kind of integrative approach to healing our society that many of us embrace about healing the body. There are psychological issues to an integrative approach. There are emotional issues and even spiritual issues. And I think that that is so important right now because Americans are good with a to-do list. Just tell us what to do and, and we'll do it. That's what we did with World War II. That's what we did with taking the man to the moon. This is not so simple. It's more like a, a cancer that has already metastasized. We need to, to, to strengthen our societal immune system in, our, in order to mm-hmm. ward off this diseased condition that has come upon us. So I think that the conversation that we have about politics in America today has become, in terms of mainstream political uh, drama, so superficial. You you would know that yourself because you were part of that antidote. Mm-hmm. But we have to mainstream now a deeper political conversation. And, and I think that's what will be happening at, at Sister Giant. I think people who want to, to face the challenge, to rise to the occasion of this time, but from a place which is which is philosophically and spiritually found sound. We're not angry. We're not demonizing anyone, but we're not kidding either. Mm. Oh, I love that. You know, what I'm, what I'm finding is that as we heal ourselves, we do, we do help heal others. And I, I think that's what's happening in society right now. I always believe that everything that's happening on the outside is a reflection of what's happening on the inside. And a great deal, and I'm speaking for myself, in my life at this moment, there are things that I am looking at that you can look at them as a tragedy or as a loss or a, a, or as a, a very um, deep, sharp change. And I think that it can bring out sometimes the shadow self, the darker self, and what we're seeing is a direct reflection of our darker selves. Now, how do, how, how do, you, do, how do you deal with your darker self? And, and right. I'm sorry. No, no go ahead. Me. How do you deal with your darker self, especially when it's coming up in your own personal life and then on on the outside, what you see in the political world or the world stage? Well, the world stage is really no different than our personal lives, because all that a nation is, is a collection of individuals. So the psychological and, and spiritual principles that rule the development of one life are the same as as those that rule the development of a society, of a civilization. Uh, one of the speakers is a woman named Vera 
de Chalembert, who wrote an article that many of your listeners have probably read, uh, Kali Takes America, talking about just that and talking about the Trump phenomenon in terms of the shadow side of America and what has come um, come to the surface in order to be healed. Yes. And that having read that article and being involved in that conversation in my own work, I invited her to speak. But I think it's important when you say you can look at it as a tragedy or a loss or you can look at it as something else. I think it is a tra- it is a tragedy. Uh, it, it is a loss and it is something else. Mm. Um, this is not just kind of sort of bad. This is this is a a catastrophic development. And I think that the that the American people are adequately awake to the danger in our midst. Now the issue is for us to hold that that alertness that we feel that awakeness that we feel in a sacred container so that we can go very, very deep into the vertical. That's the only way we'll be, we will be able to affect the horizontal. And I think that it, it behooves us to remember that this is not the first time America has had to face a dark night of the soul. We had slavery in this country. We had institutionalized segregation. We had uh, women unable to vote. But the point is not just that America has had these dark shadows that we've had to deal with before. We've all, we're also the inheritors of the legacy of the abolitionists, of the women's suffragettes, of the civil rights movement. So we just have to do collectively what we have to do individually when we face tragedy and loss and pain and suffering. And that is to dig deep down into ourselves, look at what we have probably not been willing to look at, recognize our own failures, uh, atone for our own mistakes, uh, not pussyfoot around with that, make amends, apologies, and atonement where necessary, forgive other people for their mistakes, and I believe call on an otherworldly power, something larger than ourselves, to do for us what we cannot do and expand into the people that we need to be in order to have the wisdom as well as the power on a personal level as well as an intellectual level, an emotional level, a psychological level to get this country back on course. Well, that's what I. That's why I'm so um, appreciative of the conference, the two-day conference that you're doing in early February. It's uh, folks too. It's February second through the fourth. You can find out more information at sistergiant.com. Um, but what I like is the blending of, you know, instead of being in paralysis, you know, in shock, in anger, in fear, because fear can can all can lend you. Uh, motionless or just you don't want to bury your head in the sand and forget about it and just say let's leave me alone let me just you know let me just eke out my existence here and hope that no nothing happens to me but what I like about this is that you are blending um you're blending the spiritual the spiritual aspect of who we are as human beings as humans being or a being you know in a human body but also with the political um urgency and it's a gathering of minds that are not normally put together, Marianne. You know, normally, you know, we, we're such a divisive society, right? It's either you're either on the blue team or the red team. You're either Republican or you're Democrat. You're either uh, progressive or conservative. You're either spiritual or political. And I love the idea of the blending of it uh, for this two-day conference. And I also see you have someone who is also a... Uh, another hero of mine is Mr. Dennis Kucinich and, and Elizabeth are coming. Yeah, and Den- and uh, Alan Grayson will also be with us via Skype. He will be in, in uh, Europe at that time. 
Absolutely. I, I think that uh, Dennis is one of our greatest political thinkers. Absolutely. And, you know, in terms of what you were talking about a moment ago, one of my favorite lines from Gandhi is that politics should be sacred. And he didn't mean, obviously, he didn't mean it should be religious, but he meant that it should be expressive of the deepest aspect of who we are. And that is absolutely what has gone wrong in politics. It's been so corrupted on every level yes. that is it is a superficial, stupid, stupid conversation. And, you know, I don't know what you could get more stupid and superficial than these ridiculous tweets. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, I, you know, and we're laughing. We're, know. We laugh and it, it's horrifying. It's, it's really horrifying. Um, because that I think that a tweet, you know, the fact that the president-elect of the United States is tweeting today about, Arnold Schwarzenegger's low ratings on Celebrity Apprentice last night and how mm. he's really happy about it because Schwarzenegger supported Kasich and Hillary. Um, this is, it's almost like you can't laugh. This doesn't even feel like lack of impulse control. I don't know if it's Adderall addiction or what, but this is not someone in charge of adult faculties. Well, no, that's the whole thing, isn't it? It, it, it feels that there is a spoiled uh, child that is, I mean, literally, when you when you think about the fact that that the, the amount of power that this one person has, uh, it's it is absolutely frightening. The, the, I don't even want to. My mind goes my mind goes very very deep and dark um, when I think about the the possibilities in that. of that. Yeah, it's interesting you said. That. I want to go back to something that you said before that I forgot about, which is when you said we could just go into fear. One of the reasons I wanted to do Sister Giant right away, right away, is because as soon as he is inaugurated, he will have so much power to create this wall of sound. And we must be prepared to respond with our own wall of sound, each and every one of us, you know, anything we can possibly do to annoy him on any given day, you know, anything you could possibly do to be part of an effective counterforce, um, a repudiation and resistance to the extremist elements of, 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 of his agenda. Um, nonviolent, obviously, legal, ethical, all of that. Uh, that's one of the reasons we're going to be talking to Buddhists and, you know, the, the, the prayerfulness that's necessary. This is not about personally demonizing anyone. Um, it's, you know, when I say something or when you talk about how he's like a spoiled child, that's not a judgment. That's a description. Yes. Um, and uh, I come from a field where we call it when someone needs an intervention because there, there seems to be imbibing something. Um, we're, we're acting very naive here as a nation in even pretending. And, and I like to think, look, who knows? But I can't help but believe that some of the people who voted for him aren't looking at some of his behavior now with some deep concern. Because I don't think everybody who voted for him by any means uh, is a racist or misogynist or no, xenophobe exactly. or anything. I think there was just a lot of economic despair. But I think the, the point I'm trying to make, and this is how I, I contextualize in my own mind Sister Giant. Of course, Sister Giant is just one you know, one piece. I mean, you have you have a podcast. Somebody else has a conference. Somebody else has a piece of legislation. I mean, we're all going to play the part that we're feeling assigned to. But just that we get in there immediately and don't move. We, we must not allow each other to be paralyzed. I think we must hold hands together. 
We must collaborate. We must not be silent. We must not be passive. We must be active. And I think the only way to avoid a kind of terrifying paralysis will be if we really stick together. Just like you and I are doing right now. It's all about collaboration. What are you doing? How can I help? What are you doing? How can I help? And that's just how we have to be with each other on, on, on a level beyond anything we've ever been before. Exactly. Exactly. And um, one one prime example of that, it, it look, look what happened or is happening still because it's not over uh, in North Dakota with Standing Rock. You know, the, the, the pipeline, the, the company was going to just go through that. There was very little media coverage, very little. Uh, the, the outside world did not know a whole lot, but they stood true. They were peaceful. The tribes that were there uh, and are still there in freezing conditions praying, being hit with water cannons, rubber bullets, dogs sicked on them. My goodness, every single thing that you would, you know, you could throw. They even had a saboteur. The the oil company had a saboteur come in, pretend to be a a Standing Rock protester who became violent. They found that out. But what happened was that word was spread through social media, through people tweeting and, and Facebook and YouTube, and then the swelling of support came from people all around the world. Thousands of veterans uh, showed up and are still there. There's many of them that are still there. So that's the power that we have. Now, will will the pipeline actually still go through? Will they crush the the resistance? That 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 hasn't been you know um, figured out yet. That hasn't completed yet. But the power that rests within us to band together peacefully is so powerful. It's so, so profound to me. It's so profound. And I think something important about what you just said is that it went beyond social media. It started, the call to action came from social media and, and continues to be, uh, to be uh, promulgated on social media. But the real power is how many people like the veterans and other people as well actually went to North Dakota. Yes. And that that's where the power really lies is people, it's time for us to get offline sometimes too and just take our bodies and go someplace. One of the things I like about Sister Giant, and it certainly it's, it, we're doing it in DC. The reason we're doing it in DC, I've done them before, all of them had been in Los Angeles, but uh, Senator Sanders' office had said, if he can do it, he can only do it if, if we do it in, in Washington. So we gladly are doing it in Washington, but I'm very excited about that because I think a lot of people, there's something about being in Washington, yeah. you know, actually claiming that the energy of that place and just having your molecules there and being in those ethers. Um, I'm going to be at the Women's March. I think that's great. But we need to do more than just stand there. And that's what I really like about Sister Giant, that we really move into the activism aspect of it. People can watch it, by the way, on live stream as well. But in A Course in Miracles, it, it says... An idea grows stronger when it is shared. And so there's something here about the collectivity yes. uh, of, of our conversation, uh, all of us at this point, which takes us beyond um, just staring into our screens. I, I agree um, wholeheartedly with that. And as you were speaking, as you were saying that too, I got full chills. I got the goosebumps that went all the way up and down my, my, uh, my spine and my arms. Um, so that is just the deepest truth, you know, uh, one of, one of the, uh, one of your books, the a return to love is, um, probably 
one of the most I would say uh, required readings for, for for folks. But there was there's a quote that you have in this, and I love this uh, what you wrote. You say our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. That. Let's talk about that. Because so many of us in our day-to-day lives, we do. We feel like we're, we're powerless or we're just responding to the outside world. But let's talk about our deepest fear right now, especially in relation to what's happening. But let's, let's talk about it in our personal lives as well. It's so interesting. That paragraph that has become very well known and often misattributed to Nelson Mandela's inaugural address, which it was not, all of that stuff. It's just a paragraph from my book, A Return to Love, just one paragraph. It's not a standalone anything. And I have no idea how it got cut out and turned into what it's been turned into. But the point is that coming from my book, A Return to Love, that book is my reflections on the principles of A Course in Miracles. I always say, if you like that paragraph, you love the book. There's so many paragraphs in that book because that concept, I can't take credit for that concept. That's the, that's the basic concept of the course, yeah. which is that it is, it is the light that scares us, not the darkness. The darkness, is, the smallness, the littleness is our perverse comfort zone. It's what we've been trained into. We've been trained to feel powerless. This is, did not happen by accident. Uh, the, the entire thought system that dominates the world is such that we are to believe that each of us is just one little speck of dust, one little body surrounded by billions of them in this very dangerous world. And how could we not feel terrified within this thought system? And yet it is our, it is the matrix of, of, of mental habit patterns um, that we inhabit. And spiritual liberation is breaking out of that thought system. It's a radical paradigm shift, as it were to the recognition that we are not separate, we are one, because the body itself is just like a suit of clothes, and that there's really no place where I stop and you start. And if I think of the world that way, then everything I do is different. I realize you can't do something to someone in Iraq and not have that karma coming back at you. Now, you can atone for having done it, and that will break you out of that karmic wheel of suffering, But otherwise, the laws of cause and effect simply are what they are. And God help us if America reaps its own karma the way it is reasonable to think we just might. And that's why our moving into deep atonement as a nation, that's why these spiritual principles are so important. When you've made a big mistake in your life, whether you're talking about whether you're a Catholic and you're talking about confession or you're a Jew and you're talking about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, or you are in AA and you're taking a fearless moral inventory and acknowledging the exact nature of your wrongs, every serious spiritual path includes deep personal accountability, taking responsibility, atoning for errors, and seeking to be better. And Abraham Lincoln, when he established a national day of prayer in 1864, he said that nations must confess their sins, as he said, just as individuals must. And I think America, there is a real, there's a real impulse in America today for us to look at our shadows, whether it has to do with how we've treated Native Americans or racial injustice or whatever. But it also concerns me because I think that Americans tend to fall into two 
somewhat simplistic categories. One are people who are so rah-rah America will not acknowledge our own shadows mm -hmm. and think you're bashing America if you do. But the other, the other category is equally unbalanced and incorrect. And that's those who are so focused these days on our national uh, sins, as it were, of racism and so forth, that they give no credence to what we've done right. For instance, yes, we had slaves, but we also had a generation of abolitionists. You know, yes, we had, women did not have the right to vote, but we also had a generation that rose up and gave women suffrage. Yes, we had uh, institutionalized segregation, but we also had the generation that rose up as the civil rights movement. So I think it's important that we identify not only that which is wrong in our history and our, in our current realities, but also that we identify with that which we've done right. You know, let's not be the first generation of Americans who were just so cynical that we use that as an excuse for not helping and then wimp out on the job of making right what's been wrong. And that's how I see Trump. It's a dark night. This is a collective dark night of the soul. I'm, I'm not in any way minimizing how really, really uh, serious a problem we have on our hands. But I am pointing out uh, we had slavery in this country. You know, it's not like we haven't had serious problems before and we need to do in our day what others have done in theirs, rise to the occasion and take a country that has swerved out of its ethical center, swerved out of its democratic truths and simply put this thing back on track. And I think we have become as a generation so pathologically focused on our own individual dramas, our own individual circumstances, yes. our own individual problems and wounds and triggers at the exclusion of recognizing some of these collective dramas and, and wounds. And many people will find themselves very surprised that when they actually turn their attention to the needs of their country because their country needs them now, that they'll realize at the end of all that that a lot of their personal issues have kind of dissolved and fallen away because they only existed as expressions of this kind of overwrought narcissism that has become the tenor of our day of course it and it's this um it's this apathy that i that i witness it's this because i and i know what you're talking about there's those that have the flag waving that we're perfect that this country is the best thing ever we don't make mistakes and then there's the other side the flip side which i ex have experienced myself in the progressive media world where you know uh Everything that it's all focused is what I call angry, uh, angry expression. You know, this is bad. The, the this is bad. This is bad. This is what's happened to us, and it puts you into a victim mentality. And so those two thoughts, there is a place in between that I'm hoping that people will realize the and like that's why I wanted to get, talk about that quote that we do have the power to make change. We just need to get over this apathy that I see. Even my friends who are considered, you know, progressive, um, wonderful people, when it came to the election or when it comes to certain legislation that comes out, their belief, Marianne, is, well, like you said, they're small. They think small. What can I do about it? I can't do anything about it. We're just going to have to roll with it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't have to just roll with it. There is, There are things that we can do. But... It's almost like they've given up. And I don't know if that's if that's a um, byproduct of, of being a traumatized citizen from 
years and years of war and and shock and upset? Oh, we were giving them too much credit, way too much credit. Okay. Because when you when you hear somebody say, what can I do? And you say they've given up. Usually somebody who says that hasn't given up. They never tried. That's that's not the kind of thing people who actually tried say. So that kind of cynicism, as I said before, is just an excuse for not helping. And I, I think at the deepest level, it's not even apathy. It's a sense of paralysis. It's a sense of powerlessness. This is what happens when you don't teach your children civics. This is what happens when, through various ways, um, civic participation is suppressed. Oh, yes. Um, and we just did not develop what de Tocqueville called the habits of democracy. But when you say people have given up, no, they haven't given up. They just That's just something convenient to say, what can I do? Because hope is born of participation in hopeful solutions. Once you start trying to make a difference, the amazing thing is how much difference you can make. Mm. Mm. <sighs> That's true, <laughs> because also one thing leads to another. Yeah, we've got to stop behaving like children, and we've got to stop showing respect to people who are talking like children at a time like this. Oh. You know, um, I think the conversation that, that people are having right now as this new, you know, as this, well... It's a change that's happening, but it's also somewhat of a continuation of the same. Yes, yes, uh, Donald Trump is far worse than uh, than the, the current uh, President Obama uh, and maybe past presidents. The, the potential is far worse. But at the same time, haven't we for so many years still been fighting? Because even with a, if it's a, even if a Democrat is in office, there are still wars being launched. There's still aggression happening. There's still injustice happening. So oh it, it's almost like we can never really just we, we can't ever really just chill and sit back and say these folks Should- have it. And and the problem with our generation, you know, it's like when Ben Franklin was at, well, he's, you know, when they said, do we have a, a republic, sir? And he said, yes, if you can keep it. The mistake was that we ever thought you could just cruise. You know, it's like if you have a car, you have to fill it with gas. You have to tend to it. If you have a house, you have to tend to it. What 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 happened to us? And we thought we didn't have to tend to our democracy. You can't just show up for an election once every four years and vote and think that you've done your part for your democracy. It doesn't work that way. And I think hopefully when this challenge, when this particular crisis is over, I hope that the American mind will have really been shocked into uh, remembrance that each and every one of us are responsible for our democracy. We can't just go onto cruise control. Um, I wrote a book called Healing the Soul of America that came out in 1998, uh, which I was already talking about, you know, the corporatocracy, the plutocracy, the oligarchy, uh, the fact that economic injustice had become uh, the, the, the trend that we were taking the major material resources of the country and putting them in the hands of a very few. So those of us who are political junkies, we're, we're talking about that stuff. You know, starting back in the in the 90s. And of course, the trend started really with Ronald Reagan's his excitement about deregulating corporations and letting the market Mm -hmm. go free and all of that stuff back in the 1980s. So we're just experiencing the climactic uh, version of, of, of a, of a trend that has been moving forward uh, for a long time. When I was growing up, you looked to the democratic party to retain the soul of American democracy and to really hold aloft the vision of a soulful politics and a soulful America. But back in the 90s, once the Democrats started taking corporate Wall Street donations as well, and Bill Clinton started, 
you know, wanting to prove with the Democratic Leadership Council that Democrats could be friendly to business, too. We, we had a real problem on our hands because both major political parties too often act uh, one much worse than the other, obviously, but they both acted far too many cases uh, at the behest of the huge multinational corporatocracy, uh, as opposed to at the behest of the better angels of our nature. There's certainly no doubt about that. We're in a mess. You know, this is a perfect storm. And that's why and it's a whole systems breakdown of sorts. And that's why it's sister giant. We're taking on the conversation in a holistic, integrative way, because it's not just one level of things that's gone wrong. It's a lot of things that's gone wrong. And we need to deeply understand what has happened and what is happening, like I said, inside ourselves as much as in our politics and our society in order to turn this very, very large ship around. And that's what I like. I I really love the idea about um, connecting it to ourselves because we do so often throw out the problem is out there. The problem is out there. It's somebody else. It's what they are doing to me or what they are doing to the collective. And uh, it it's it's difficult for people to turn the mirror around on themselves. But you're, it's just like you said with Gandhi, you can't don't you know be the change that you wish to see in the world. If you are if you are you know if you're miserable, if you do not treat people with respect, and I mean everybody. The person that serves you coffee in the morning, the person who picks up your trash, the CEO—you know—treat them equally to as you do to the CEO or you know the Dalai Lama. Uh, until we start actually taking a look at ourselves and changing those aspects of how we react in this world, then we're not going to be able to really affect change on the outside because then it's just like window dressing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Well, Gandhi said that the end is inherent in the means and everything we do is infused with the consciousness with which we do it. And I think that that's why in my book, Healing of America, I call it yin activism. Um, there's the yin and the yang. And I think that when you look at, at Gandhi's principles of nonviolence and those that then Dr. King brought to apply to the struggle for civil rights in the United States in the 1960s, that's really the whole idea of nonviolence uh, political philosophy is that there is an inner light within each of us, our love, our compassion for each other, which can heal political and social and economic relationships just as it can heal personal ones. So we have to bring in that aspect of ourselves to the political uh, struggles at hand or they will be at best temporary solutions that we bring forth. Because we will be dealing only on the level of effect and not at the level of cause. You know, you could have a, a, a constitutional amendment and a presidential proclamation that could end the institution of slavery, but no external remedy could end racism. Mm. So mm. we have to do both. And it's like Martin Luther King said, the desegregation of the American South is the political externalization of the goal of the civil rights movement, but the ultimate goal is the establishment of the beloved community. So we have to do the internal changes, as you were saying, and the external changes. It's not either or, and I think that's the point. That's yeah, another yeah. place where people tend to go for one or the other, and it's it's both and. You know, you can't use your spiritual practice as an excuse for sitting out politics because you know it's just too toxic. <laughs> exactly. I'll just like do yoga and, and drink green juice and it'll be fine. No, it won't because I don't, particularly today. Yes. Uh, if it's a public issue, it's going to make its way to your private door. Mm. Oh, that is so true. 
And speaking of of, of public and and uh, and politics in general, you know, I I know you had uh, recently you ran for Congress. I did, and I would love for you to uh, to tell us a little bit about that experience. First of all, you know, people know Marianne Williamson as an author, as a speaker. Uh, you know, it's it's you're you've you've been so and and rightfully so for so many years in this box, so to speak, of spirituality transformation. Then you run for political office, and I want to know what was what the catalyst was for that. Um, and then, if you don't mind talking a little bit about your experience, be it be it a, a good experience or a, I mean, I know nothing is good or bad, but um, please just let us know a little bit about that part of your life when you actually decided to run for Congress? Well, as I, as I mentioned, my book, Healing the Soul of America, came out in 1998. So I, I always had political interests. I just, did, it was just a process of my becoming more and more public. And, um, you know, I founded Project Angel Food in, in Los Angeles. So, you know, I, I, I from the beginning of, of my work, it was never just some woo-woo theorizing you know people were dying of AIDS in front of us we did something so it it, there's the course in miracles is very practical and my work has always been about dealing a lot about dealing with people in trauma people dealing in traumatic situations so to me it's like the difference between uh there's a a protestant theologian who talked about the difference between the good samaritan and the conscious samaritan the good samaritan sees the beggar on the road and gives him some food and then he sees another beggar on the road and he sees them and gives them some food. Then he sees another beggar on the road and gives them some food. But at a certain point, the Good Samaritan has helped so many people who are begging that he thinks to himself, why are there so many hungry people? That's to me what politics is about, that I've been involved in nonprofits and charities and all, throughout my career. But at a certain point, th- there is no amount of private charity that can compensate for a basic lack of social justice. So I could work with battered women, I could work with disadvantaged youth, I could work with the various parts of the population that have suffered, and I have. But at a certain point you realize there is something so wrong in the society that so many people are suffering from this. What are the systemic issues? What are the economic issues? What are the social issues? Uh, you know, What is the larger picture by which so many people are being deprived of what should be their their inalienable rights of opportunity in this country so that a very, very few people can get more than theoretically they deserve. So it was there's, it's not like all of a sudden I woke up one day and I changed. I simply have moved in my life uh, towards what seems to me the, the, the place where in, in my own dharma I could possibly be of help. As far as my running is concerned, when you asked me what it was like, it was exhilarating and it was brutal. Mm. Um, I, I have had enough time to be feel pretty clear about what I did right and what I did wrong. Um, I didn't know how to run a political campaign. I thought I felt very I felt it was legitimate for me to run because I felt and I still feel that I understood the issues well enough that I could hit the ground running as a congresswoman. What I vastly underestimated was the significance of the fact that I didn't know anything about running a political campaign. 
I thought, well, you raise money and then you just have someone do that part. And that's simply not the way it works. Um, and you know, many people, Barack Obama as an example, uh, lost their first congressional campaign. And if I was 10 years younger, 15 years younger, I'd probably say, give me a few years to get over it and I'll go out there again. I don't see that happening. I do not see myself running again, but I'm just as passionate about the issues, um, doing what I can. Sister Giant would be an example uh, to use my voice in whatever way might be helpful uh, to to uh, amplify these issues in my own way to the best of my ability. And also, I am still very aware that politics is a numbers game. We simply need more people speaking a certain message who are able to make it through the corporate uh, lid that the Democratic Party has been as guilty as the Republican Party of of putting the the lid on real progressives, Uh, not just in the presidential campaign, this last presidential campaign, but they did it with primaries, congressional, senatorial primaries all over the country. And so if there are ever genuinely progressive candidates who are speaking the soulful message that I believe is the true spirit of American democracy, even though I won't be a candidate again, I will show up in whatever way I can uh, to be of service to them. And that was, isn't, isn't that part of what happened with Bernie Sanders was, uh, uh, excuse me, not part of what happened. It's exactly what yeah, happened. To yeah. Him. I mean, millions of people came, came out and were excited for the very first time. Uh, he was actually, you know, the idea of, of a democracy by and for the people really was exemplified with his with his candidacy, with his running. But at every turn, and this is probably what was so what was so disheartening with people was that they knew he would be able to beat whoever the Republicans put up, whoever, uh, because he had to support the hearts and minds of so many people. So the fact, though, that he did run. I and even even though he did not get the um, he did not win the uh, uh, the primary. Well, I I personally think that it was stolen from him, but that's my own thing. Uh, it did change us. His his just running changed us, and I think the same thing with with your throwing your hat in the ring uh, changes people to um, it it raises our vibration to a point of yes, that's what we want, and we're not going to stop. If we have to run, if we have to keep running, you know, if we have to keep supporting Bernie Sanders until he's 150 years old, I don't care. I'm, I'll start making him some smoothies, and, you know, and taking care of the man. Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, my, my point before was that the way the elite Democratic establishment um, suppressed Bernie's candidacy was repeated throughout congressional and senatorial races throughout the country. Yes. There were progressives like Bernie Sanders trying to make it through primaries all over the country and well-funded corporatist candidates uh, within the Democratic Party would cut them off at the knees. So that's, that was my point for people to realize it wasn't just Bernie. And that's why a real progressive revival within the Democratic Party is so important, unless people are going to go third-party route, which is certainly a, a, an important conversation. The second thing I would say to you, just as a woman, um, you just did something that I think we as women need to need to bring to the to the um, into the conversation with each other, you said a couple of minutes ago. Oh, well, I think uh, that they took it from him. Blah blah blah. That's just what I think. And I just want to say to you, as a woman, no man needs feels the need to say, "Well, that's just what I think." Mm, okay. 
<laughs> that's what a lot of people think and uh, so just as, as a woman I, I, uh, I, I think we need to support each other in making declarative sentences without apology you mean, you mean Russia didn't steal the election? <laughs> well that was, that was what happened after the Bernie part but uh, Russia, did have, Russia did have a part to play actually I think that the um, every you know the stuff with against Hillary was drip, 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 drip. And I think that those, it, it's so awful. Did you see what Trump said today about the hacking intel? No. What did he say? A, yeah, he said it's a political witch hunt. Um, it's really amazing the way this man is siding with Russia against American intelligence. We, we, have, a, we have a serious conundrum on our hands here. I can't even laugh about it. Well, we have a, a serious issue on so many different fronts, and uh, I, I, it's almost, it is, sometimes it is overwhelming uh, to the point where you, it, oh, not overstimulation, uh, Marianne, but an avalanche of issues that are affecting us on so many, you know, it's that, it's that idea of, you know, spinning the plates uh, in the olden, olden days of yore, I guess on the Ed Sullivan show, there'd be a guy that would have a stick and he would be spinning a plate, and then he would have another stick and spin another plate. And at one point, there would be like, you know, 10 plates being spun on these sticks. And the idea is to make sure that none of them fall to the ground. And I think what's happening right now, you know, what we have with, obviously with this extremely uh, fascistic uh, political system that we have, the power that we were gra- that we granted... Uh, Obama is now those powers are going to be transferred to uh, Trump, to Donald Trump. But then you have the issue of people in just in their own, you know, economics about the, the job situation, about health care, about um, gay and lesbian, uh, you know, transgender rights. These things are all coming at us. And I think that uh, that's well, that's why the conference like sister giant is so vitally important and others to, to give people the opportunity to express these emotions, these concerns, but then also to at least band together and do something, but it is over. It it can be quite overwhelming. For me, it is, uh, I'm doing my best with out of the box radio. You're doing your best with conferences like that, but is there something even more that we can do? Do we need to create another, a new media outlet as well? Because I think that this relying on corporate media for your information and uh, and solutions is is not working, obviously. But maybe there's something that we can do together, creating a new a new a new political party or a new media system. I don't know. I, I think one of the problems on the left is that we talk too often in terms of starting something new. We waste a lot of time starting something new mm. uh, rather than joining together with the projects that are already occurring. There's all kinds of alternative media. There's all kinds of alternative media. You're an example of it. Um, and I think that it, as I was saying earlier, I think the, the way for us to most have most effect on the horizontal plane is to go deeper into the vertical. The question of what to do emerges from a, at, the, at the highest level emerges from a deeper level of devotion and dedication. If you wake up in the morning and you make your, and you are kind of sort of, if it's convenient, going to help my country today, then you will receive superficial guidance because your dedication is superficial. 
But if you become very, very, if you get to that point in your own spiritual development to really ask the God of your understanding to use you to be of service to the enlightenment of all living beings, that you might, that everything that you are about, everything that you are, everything you have, everything you do might in some way be a vessel of love that will cast out fear and a vessel of light that will cast out darkness, then you will be overflowing with insight. You will be overflowing with collaborative, synchronistic possibilities that just fall at your feet. Yes. You don't have to figure out what to do so much as deepen your devotion to doing whatever it is the the heart of love would lead you to do. Oh, oh, I love that. I got a huge heart blast on that. <laughs> You're so great. I hope you'll come to Sister Giant. I hope you'll be there. I, You know what? I am going to try every single thing I can to get there. And I want our listeners also to, uh, if you can, please attend Sister Giant. You can find out more information at sistergiant.com. And it's going to be in the heart of Washington, D.C., uh, held at the Marriott Hotel. It's actually in Arlington, Virginia, February 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And uh, if they can't, and also if they can't be there in person, it's going to be streaming live, correct? You said? Absolutely. And also for anybody out there, Arlington, Virginia just means right, right over the bridge. Yes. It, it's <laughs> kind of like saying it's in, you know, it's in the valley. In Los Angeles terms, you know. And you're so right when you said you really need to be there. I remember many years ago I went to the March for Women's Lives. Ooh, talk about uh, a gathering of of uh, beautiful beings, and it wasn't just women. It was it was men and women, all different ages and socioeconomic backgrounds and colors and religions, and we descended upon the uh, uh, the Capitol there, and it was just the really such a powerful moment for me my in my personal life and the energy this is the thing folks what happens is that even if you go if you go to this and and yes we are facing a mountain of you know uh insanity and 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 and, and otherness but what you get is that energy that connection well, absolutely with fellow and, with fellow uh souls beautiful souls i i'll never forget the the time i was there in dc because of that you know, I meet people at spiritual conferences a lot around the country who have never even been there. You know, our founders, many of them were Rosicrucians. They were Masons. There's a lot of sacred geometry, the ley lines and the way the city is laid out. And, you know, there's going to be some serious, dense material energy coming in, just coming like a wave into that place with the Trump inauguration. We got to provide an energetic counterforce. Mm. Oh, that's so true. Absolutely. Stand your ground. You know, that's how you, and I think, you know, that's, that's stand your ground. That is your ground. That city and what it represents belongs to all of us. And that's the power of our citizenship. We did not elect a king. We did not elect a dictator. Uh, we elected a president. We do not work for him. He, he seems to think we're his, his employees, the way he told people that I love the, his commentary to the people in Hamilton, they needed to apologize. Like they're his employees and he gets to tell them how to behave. Right. It doesn't work that way in a democracy. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that before we can remind him he works for us. And, um, so I, I think there's no better way than uh, as soon as the inauguration is over, just we're coming, we're here. You know, and I'm not saying that he's going to be aware that we're here. It's, it's more on an energetic level. 
And, you know, no one project or one conference or one, per, you know, is, is, is enough. It's a deep revolutionary wave of resistance. And um, let's each of us just be part of it as best we can. Like you were saying with your podcast, you know, every cell of the body is assigned to its own natural intelligence. Some are assigned to the lungs, some are assigned to the heart, some are assigned in, in society, some are assigned to the arts, some are assigned to, to business, some are assigned to education. But politics is a collective assignment. We're all assigned and we all need to be there. And if we didn't know that before, I think a lot of us know it now. And uh, just just watch, you know, um, uh, Winston Churchill said, you can always count on Americans to do the right thing after we have exhausted every other option. So um, we've uh, been asleep for a long time. This is something Americans sometimes do. We go to sleep, we take a nap. We don't, <laughs> we're not aware of what's happening. But I think most people in the world, whether they like us or not, would admit that when Americans do wake up, we slam it like nobody's business, and that, to me, is where we need to be right now. We know who Donald Trump is going to be in the next uh, next season of our lives. The real question is, who are we going to be? Um, and I think we need to find our greatness. It lives within us, and um, I, I wouldn't count us out because we have only just begun. Mm. On that note, we're going to uh, to wrap up this incredible hour. I want to thank you, Marianne Williamson, for your time today and for reaching out to our listeners, talking about Sister Giant, talking about uh, just let's fire up and, 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 and do not, do not sleep. Do not go back to sleep. Don't take a nap yet. Come on. <laughs> we we got to wake up. So right. We have at least four years before any of us can take a nap. Exactly. Exactly. So for, uh, well, God bless you yeah. and thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed talking to you and I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, also Marianne, what, for, if people want to check out your personal website, where, where should they go? Marianne.com. And I, I live stream my talks on a course in miracles every Tuesday night. They're live streamed for free. So you can find out about that at Marianne.com and about Sister Giant at SisterGiant.com. Thank you so very much, dear. Lot, all the power to you. All the power to Bless you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Once again, that was Marianne Williamson, and you can find out more by going to Marianne.com or for the weekend conference, February 2nd, 3rd, and 4th in Washington, D.C., Sister Giant. You can go to SisterGiant.com. I want to thank you so very much for listening to the program today. We've got a lot more in store for you this year, so please stay tuned. You can subscribe to the podcast by going to iTunes or iHeartRadio. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel, and then that way you can actually share the programs that you hear. So if you liked what you heard today and you want others to hear about it, you want to share this program, go to YouTube, subscribe to Out of the Box Radio, and you can send very easily the program, the video of this program to friends and family. Oh, and I wanted to make a very special announcement before I forget. Beginning in 2017, Out of the Box Radio is going to start accepting media sponsorships. What does that mean? That means that your organization, your product, your company, your service can be promoted on this program. There'll be different packages available to you. And just so you know, there's approximately right now 10,000 live listeners on Fridays at 3 p.m. on UBN radio. Now, that is a great thing and the numbers are growing. But the best news is there's approximately 22,000 digital downloads of the podcast each and every month. 
And again, that number is growing as well. We're growing and we're hoping that in 2017, we're going to get even bigger. So if you're interested in a sponsorship package, please contact me, Christine, and you can do that by emailing me at cblasdale at yahoo.com. If you don't know how to spell it, it's C, as in Christine, Blasdale, B-L-O-S-D-A-L-E, at yahoo.com. There's a number of different packages available to you. Again, that email address is cblasdale at yahoo.com, C-B-L-O-S-D-A-L-E, at yahoo.com. I'm really excited about this coming year. I want you to know that I've got some incredible programming lined up for you. And please, so that this program can grow and more and more people can find out about wonderful guests like we've had on today, please share this information. Tell others about it. So until next time, I always want to remind you to think outside the box. Have a beautiful day or evening, and we'll talk to you soon. Tune in next week. Bye for now.